1: Before we begin this week's episode, we would just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who donated to Ulemu. We have raised a total of €3,034 for an amazing cause. As we said previously, there were 10 pieces of merchandise that were being given away to the people who donated. So the 10 winners are Zoe Chambers Ward Hannah McDougall Jessica Falken Emma Conroy, Holly Banks, Sarah Harvey, Louise Lunis, Al Reddy, Christine Emerson and Elizabeth Sichette. Thank you so much to everybody who donated. It is so appreciated and it will make a massive difference to so many children's lives. Also, before we start this episode, As I've edited it, I've realised that there is a slight popping on my microphone in particular. I think it's probably to do with our new studio setup and the way our equipment is set up. So it's not a permanent thing. Don't worry, it won't be around for next week's episode and hopefully I will be able to fix it. Thank you. Welcome to episode 123 of Real Life Ghost Stories.
2: How you do.
1: To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank... Danielle. Madeline. Jessica Macchiarelli.
2: Patricia Coleman.
1: Jamie Picciandra. Amy Allen. The Legends and Spirits Podcast.
2: Natalie Consalvi. Ghost Donut. Ola Jasinska.
1: Stacey Hamilton.
2: Morag Woods. Pam. Denise Groff, Mary and Scott Hawke, Jessica Rose,
1: Marisa Halliday,
2: Marlo's Brill, Phil G, and Damon Cunningham.
1: Thank you all so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you and we appreciate you every day. We sure do. Our film review this week. Our film review is Darkness Falls. Darkness Falls was released in 2003. It has 5 out of 10 on IMDb and 9% on Rotten Tomatoes
2: nine percent nine percent would
1: you like a synopsis yes please kyle returns to his hometown to confront his troubled past and save his childhood sweetheart and her younger brother from an unrelenting evil that has plagued the town what are your thoughts on this film
2: i'm gonna have to say that any judgment that i make on this film is hindered by the fact that i could not get over how much the leading man looked like sesca fabregas Um, it has ruined my outlook on this film completely. Um, I was unable to get over it from the moment I saw him on screen right up until the credits. So take that in consideration if you disagree with anything I'm about to say. I was highly distracted by the fact that I felt like I was watching an American sesk Fabregas. Other than that, (laughs) (laughs) this is a film of its period. I think unlike my choice from last week, it was more professional. I felt like Maybe the actors had had done some work on building relationships on screen. There was definitely no signs of extras moving off camera. There was nothing like that. The storyline was coherent. It was late 90s, early noughties horror film. It was okay.
1: Do you think it deserves 9% on Rotten Tomatoes? Because I feel like that's very harsh.
2: Not when Beyond the Gates got what it did. (laughs) I just find it very...
1: I guess it also depends on how many people review a film. That obviously alters the percentage. You're right about this film. It's a very early 2000s, late 90s horror film. Very much so. And it did that thing where at the end of all of the horror films of that era... The music for the credits is always kind of pop punk, new metal-y music. Very strange.
2: Yeah, it's like radio rock, isn't it? Like yeah, yeah. really <laughs> weird. Which is
1: which doesn't seem to match with the tone of the film at all. No, or the but soundtrack. they all did it. Like at the end of Gothica, yep. the soundtrack is Limp Bizkit is yep. Fred Durst singing behind blue eyes. What?
2: Well, I mean, it's a jam, isn't
1: it? It is a jam, but that's not <laughs> the point. Anyway, I digress. This film traumatized me when I was what 13 14 whenever it came out I, I had it on DVD and I found it really frightening the concept is and I'm going to say from this point forward if you've got small people who listen to this podcast because I know a lot of you listen with your kids I would highly recommend that you don't listen for the next until the stories start it is it, it's just not for little ears So this film is about the tooth fairy which I think is like genius i really do because if you think about it the tooth fairy is pretty she's pretty fucking dark that's some pretty occult stuff going on there coming stealing teeth in the middle of that. what's she doing with all those teeth where do they all go
2: maybe she's repairing her house
1: with teeth yeah it's a tiny house
2: teeth are tiny bricks still weird Mm.
1: but the tooth fairy is this like creature that is you know if you see her when you lose your final tooth she comes to collect it She's the big boss, really, at the end of your video game. She comes to collect it. If you see her, she will hunt you down for the rest of your life and try until she kills you. I, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty cool concept. <laughs> does it stand up in terms of being traumatized? And no, I will say that it does not. No, it
2: really doesn't. <laughs> I didn't find it particularly scary. I don't even remember there being any particularly good jump scares. I probably jumped once because I normally do. And I feel like, again through my own disturbed head uh, I feel like the tooth fairy looked like the spirit from Spirited Away
1: oh yes
2: which which is kind of creepy if you think about that but also kind of took the scare off a little bit
1: I think seeing her from the opening really takes the scare off anyway like there's no hiding what she is you see her from the very beginning and you see her the whole way through and that kind of takes away from the scare a little bit because you see she's not a bad horror villain as it were like looking she's not they don't CGI her anything like that but you see way too much of her and it just becomes a bit comical it kind of like I said to you at the end of it it felt like a creature feature
2: It did. It had that sort of setup to it and it was very much in that vein of of them being hunted essentially and trying to avoid getting caught. Which you can do in a paranormal world as well without making it feel like a creature feature. But this did feel very much like that. I thought the movement of the tooth fairy was, was quite cool. I thought that made it kind of creepy.
1: She sounded quite creepy as well. Like the noises she made were very scary.
2: Yeah, it's okay is just where I'm left with this. I think this probably would have creeped me out in 2003 because I hadn't have seen like I wasn't majorly into horror and I was easily spooked. I, I feel like I've got to a point now where you have to be good to
1: to really scare you to
2: really scare me. This isn't as bad as Beyond the Gates. Like there's production value to this.
1: No, it's not. Like lots of people commented about how this was a film that traumatized them when they were 13. Because our demographic audience is is quite similar to our age. So if you are one of those people who you think, oh, this was too scary, I'm definitely not going to go back and watch it. Go back and watch it. Get some popcorn in. Don't expect to be frightened. It is just a fun watch, but it's not. It's not really scary. And I have to say, like, if I was in the Tooth Fairy's position, so you find out the first, the opening of the film tells you the story of the Tooth Fairy. She was just this weird woman in the town who, like, the kids brought her their teeth when they fell out and she would give them a coin anyway then she's accused of murdering these two kids and wrongfully put to death and the kids are found safe and sound afterwards i would be haunting the shit out of that town too and i don't think it's fair to call her evil that is plaguing the town i would i would be haunting everybody too it's just just fyi
2: <laughs> i would give this a two and a half out of five two and a half
1: mm. i think i'm gonna go for a two
2: yeah, I was t- torn, I give it the extra half because considering he was born in Spain, I, you just couldn't tell that Cesc Fabregas progress was from Spain. So I'm giving him an extra half mark for that.
1: I think there is a beauty and ignorance in horror films sometimes, you know, when the, the characters don't know what's happening it is blindingly obvious I think or it should at least be blindingly obvious to all of the characters in this film that hey we're dealing with something supernatural. When they literally physically see this creature flying through the air and they still don't listen to the protagonist who is telling them the only way to keep yourself safe from this creature is to be in the light. I've got loads of torches in my bag. Just take a torch and shine it at her. And they're still just blindly shooting at her. Like There is a point when it becomes ridiculous and you think Rewrite the film. Rewrite the script. Okay? Because you can't can't keep up this level of ignorance the whole way through. It's just not possible. And you know what? I think if you're going to choose to ignore what's right in front of your face, don't want to say you deserve it, but maybe you do.
0: Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
1: which brings us to our stories this week tooth fairy no oh, okay there's no link <laughs> um i try and find a link sometimes then other times i'm like oh yeah remember that film let's just watch that film uh recently i posted on patreon i posted on facebook i think and on instagram asking people what was their favorite story or type of story that we have done so far and the overwhelming majority of people talked about skinwalkers they talked about black-eyed kids they talked about dear david And they talked about what we're going to talk about today. Now, we've revisited Skinwalkers. We've revisited Black Eyed Kids. We are not going to revisit Dear David because it is, we can't, (laughs) it is what it is. And we are today revisiting the wonderful world of Time Slips. Ooh. Now, you did an episode all the way back in, I think it's episode 38, called Frank and Carol Go Shopping.
2: (laughs) Yes, I did.
1: And we have a story today that is weirdly linked to Frank and Carl Go Shopping, Okay, but isn't Frank and Carl Go Shopping. But this first story I'm going to tell you today is the story of Rudolph Fence. Do you know this story?
2: No. The only Rudolphs I know are Hess and the Red Nose Reindeer.
1: It's about neither of those two things.
2: That's good because they're not normally spoken about in the same sentence.
1: No. <laughs> Being a pathologist is not a job for the faint-hearted, and being a pathologist in a big city comes with even more challenges. There will always be the standard open and shut cases where the identity of the deceased is known and the cause of death is obvious. But there will also always be those cases that baffle even the most experienced pathologists. It was June 1951, in New York City, And what had started as a routine pathological examination was turning into one of those cases, where each turn created more questions, and each question was stranger than the last. The man lying dead on the examination table seemed to be in his late twenties. He had tragically died having been struck by a car. The pathologist was certain about those two facts. As the body lay naked on the table, the pathologist cast an eye over the man's belongings. This was what had really baffled him. But before he had time to examine them again, a police officer knocked on the examination room door and entered the room. The pathologist filled the officer in on everything he knew. He estimated that the man was in his late twenties, and that he had died from blunt force trauma having been struck by a taxi cab. The pathologist then went on to show the police officer the deceased's belongings. He was wearing a strange outfit, which the pathologist had assumed was part of a costume of some sort. He had been wearing a top hat and tails, similar to that which would have been seen in the Victorian era. They both cast an eye back at the body lying motionless on the gurney, and their eyes lingered on the large mutton chops, the facial hair that was fashionable in the Victorian era, and they obscured half of the man's face. The pathologist raised an eyebrow and continued to show the belongings to the officer. There was a brass slug, which was an old token worth five cents for a beer, from a saloon that neither official recognised the name of. There was a clean and crisp bill that was payable for the care of a horse and the washing of a carriage. The address on this bill was for a livery on Lexington Avenue. There was some cash and some business cards bearing the name Rudolph Fence and an address on Fifth Avenue. Even more curious was the letter that was in his pocket. A letter addressed to Mr. Rudolph Fence with an address on Fifth Avenue and postmarked with a date. 1876 Not one single item in his pocket showed signs of wear and tear that you would expect from over 70 years of use. In fact, the artefacts seemed new and fresh. The whole situation felt strange, and even more so when the police officer shared his report with the pathologist. At approximately 11.15pm, a man had appeared in Times Square... When the officer had asked the witnesses to elaborate, they had said there was nothing to elaborate on. He had literally appeared in Times Square. Witnesses stated that he was gawking and looking around at the cars and up at the signs like he had never seen them before. He became more and more panicked and was visibly upset and then ran out into the road and was hit by a passing taxi cab. However strange the items were in this man's pockets, the police had a duty to inform his next of kin what had happened. They had his name, Rudolph Fence, but there was no Rudolph Fence listed in the New York City phone directories. They went to the address listed on the business cards, but the address hadn't been a residence for many, many years, and no one there had ever even heard of a Rudolph Fence. His fingerprints didn't match any on file, There was no missing persons report that matched him. Stumped, the officers went back to Rudolph Fence's items of clothing. They checked the labels and it would seem that the clothing had been made by a tailor whom no one had heard of. His hat was made in a shop that had gone out of business years before. Despite knowing his name, they simply couldn't figure out who this man was or where he had come from. The police officer began searching through older phone directories until eventually he struck gold. There was a listing for a man named Rudolph Fence Jr. The officer was overjoyed. Surely this man would have an idea of who their Rudolph Fence was, or maybe it was the person he'd been looking for. But Rudolph Fence Jr. had died five years earlier. And in an act of desperation, the officer wrote to the wife he had left behind. She had upped sticks and moved to Florida after her husband's death five years previously, but she did write back. And the letter was astounding. Rudolph Fence Jr. had had a father who was obviously named Rudolph Fence, but sometime in the 1870s, that man had gone out for a walk on a summer's evening and was never seen again. It couldn't be possible. The officer unearthed newspapers from the time and there it was. In eighteen seventy six he found a missing person's report for a Rudolph fence, and the clothes and address were the same as those lying in a morgue in nineteen fifties New York.
2: So, when you first said about the corpse wearing a top hat and items of clothing that were very smart, and the police officer suggested not of the era, my immediate thought was you know, people wear smart clothes. I thought about Nick from the Poisonous Cabinet. I thought I could see he him. He regularly
1: wears a top hat. In yep. a top
2: hat and tails, just knocking about Canterbury. So, I didn't seem, think that was too much of. A shock. Even the mutton chops, you know, they're not particularly fashionable. but You still people, see
1: people people wearing them from time to time, very true.
2: And then it gets a little bit weird, doesn't it? Because of all the items in the pocket being of a date and not of the right decay from that date. Because stuffed paper, particularly crumples and fades over time doesn't it
1: yes and as well as that people carry weird things around with them so they might have a memento from a time period that means a lot to them mm. that you might look at and think why are you carrying around a bill from 1870 or whatever but it could have belonged to their father or something but you would expect a certain amount of wear and tear if something had been in your wallet or in your pocket for that long
2: and then you've got all the other interesting things about the booking of a horse and a carriage and Taylor that doesn't exist and the fact that rudolph french jr's dad went out and never came back and him looking shocked i'm a little bit disappointed this didn't take place like slightly later on because i feel like pathology might have been able to do some amazing things with the body if it had been like two weeks ago and they would have been able to like date stuff and look at the contents of the stomach and be like well this is a diet that's similar of this era yeah find out way more in the 50s they're just pretty much working out whether it's Dead or alive, aren't they?
1: And how, and
2: how Yeah, they died. That's quite disappointing. And if loads of people saw him get hit by a car, you kind of know how he died already. <laughs> so the question
1: is, do you believe the story?
2: When do I not believe the story? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a silly question now. It's, it's almost rhetorical really, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it.
1: This story is one of the most famous time slip stories, aside from your Frank and Carol Go Shopping, because that's a really famous time slip story too. But... Evidence suggests that it's not actually a real story, but let me tell you why. Okay. Apparently, in 1951, a story was published in Collier's magazine by sci-fi writer Jack Finney. The story was part of a series of stories called I'm Scared, and in it, the narrator listens to the radio and hears the story of Rudolph Fentz but there doesn't seem to be any copies of this original short story in existence. In 2007, a newspaper article published five months before Jack Finney's story was allegedly discovered, which outlined the story of the real Rudolph Fentz as we know it today. But contrary to that again, it is alleged that Jack Finney's original story was reprinted and presented as fact by a man called Ralph Holland, who was desperate to prove that time travel was real and used the story of Rudolf Fentz to do this. So it is likely that Rudolf Fentz's story isn't actually true. But while the story might not be true, there are numerous stories of time slips and glitches in the Matrix that are weirdly similar. They make their way onto message boards and sometimes even into newspapers. And let's be clear... On a technical scientific level, time travel is possible. And the story that I'm about to tell you takes place somewhere where time travel seems to be more regular than elsewhere. And that's Liverpool. In 2007, the Liverpool Echo ran a story and a strange little tale that happened just off Bold Street in Liverpool. If you remember back to episode 36 of this podcast, Dan told a story which he expertly titled Frank and Carol Go Shopping. And this story tells the tale of a time slip that happened in Bowl Street. The Echo reported that in 2006, a man named Sean had gotten himself into a bit of trouble. Sean was a drug user and was well known to the local police and security guards for petty crimes. Today, it was shoplifting, and unfortunately for Sean, he wasn't very good at it. Sean was sprinting down Hanover Street, with a security guard hot on his heels. He was desperate not to get caught, but in his panic and haste, he had taken a stupid wrong turn down Brook's Alley. Brook's Alley was a dead end, and as he ran, he felt his chest begin to tighten. He stopped at the end of the alley, and breathed heavily. He waited for the security guard to round the corner. There was no way the security guard hadn't seen where he went, he'd been right behind him. But it never happened. Sean had somehow given him the slip and he edged his way back down the alleyway and back onto Hanover Street. It took him a few seconds to realise that something was terribly wrong. Everything seemed quieter. The roads and the pavements looked completely different. The vehicles were all unfamiliar to Sean, and he stood for a second trying to take everything in. He soon realized that the quietness was because the roadworks of the Big Dig were completely gone, like they never existed. There were green areas and trees and bushes where he was sure there had been shops and restaurants a few minutes before. He felt his panic rising and realized that it was raining. But it, it had been sunny when he was running, hadn't it? He looked around at the people, and they were all dressed differently. There was no brand names or logos. Trying to steady his breathing, Sean put his hood up and walked through the crowds of strangely dressed people. He couldn't think straight, and he didn't know where he was going, but his legs carried him towards Bold Street. His phone of course. He took out his phone and saw with dismay that he had no phone signal. He had the terrifying thought that he had somehow been shunted back to the past, but it couldn't be possible. He walked to Central Station and saw a newspaper kiosk. According to the Daily Post newspaper, it was Thursday the 18th of May 1967. Sean panicked. It was a full anxiety attack now. How would he get back to the present? How had this even happened? Doing the only thing that made sense, he fled back toward Brook's Alley. As he ran, he realised that things were beginning to look familiar again. There were buildings and shops that he recognised. He pulled out his phone and there was signal, but as he turned over his shoulder, he could still see the remnants of the world of 1967 on the streets behind him. He kept running until eventually he felt that he was firmly back in the present, he got on a bus and went home. It would be easy to dismiss Sean's story as a piece of fiction that he made up for attention or notoriety but the journalist interviewed Sean on four separate occasions and each time his story was consistent. The journalist also interviewed Sean's friends who all maintained that whatever happened to Sean that day had irrevocably changed him. After investigating the claims that Sean had made, the journalist found that the clothing, the vehicles, the shops that Sean had described were consistent with the area of Liverpool in 1967. And then there was the security guard. Because you see, the security guard was hot on Sean's heels and had followed him down Brook's Alley. He said that he literally watched Sean disappear into thin air as he ran down the alleyway after him.
2: That's so weird.
1: I know, right? Now, that story came from the Liverpool Echo. The link is in the description. Like, feel free to go and read it. But how weird is that?
2: Yeah, I I mean, the Liverpool Echo is, is, I get the impression, is one of those local newspapers that's actually worth reading. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, that is just... The similarities between Frank and Carol Go Shopping and that story are uncanny. It's a similar kind of, although I don't think Frank and Carol had an exact time period in mind, did they? But there was, you could date it from the shop that they ended up outside.
1: I think what regularly seems to happen with these stories, and there are so many stories from this particular area of Liverpool. So for context, Hanover Street is a six minute walk from Bold Street. I looked it up because I was like how close are they really because the other way sometimes in these types of stories they say yes it's very close to this famously paranormal area and it's like an hour (laughs) away Uh, so yeah like they are within walking distance of each other and there are tons of stories if you like Google Liverpool Echo time slip there are tons of stories from this area of people who have had apparently time slip experiences
2: do you know what really gets me about all of these stories is that is what you said in A bit that you read is that scientifically time travel is possible.
1: Now I have to say that I wasn't going to try and make time travel science digestible in this podcast because frankly if I don't understand something myself how am I meant to make it digestible for other people? But all I can tell you is I read on a NASA based website that time travel is technically possible that's I mean, all i
2: need to know that's the thing isn't it it's technically possible so it could happen but we're not at a point where we can harness it so which makes it incredibly complex so i wasn't you're lucky i wasn't fishing for you to explain it to me so you're okay <laughs> no it's it's something to do with
1: like i don't know timelines and relative time and blah 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 which i just c- couldn't get my head around so i was like no nope, we're just gonna put it really plain and simple time travel is technically possible
2: which makes me wonder what it is about that area of Liverpool city centre that is so prone to time lapse.
1: It's weird, isn't it? Like, how how has this happened? Like, how are we getting so many stories from one area? Like, really, do all of these people just want an article written about them in the Liverpool Echo? Doubt it. You know, but like when, when you really think about it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it also gets to the point where the Liverpool Echo don't want to write about it anymore. If they get to the point where everybody's just flooding them with yeah. Reddit-esque stories, it's not they're not going to make print, are they? So... There must be something about each of them that gives it a a stanza of credibility, at least, to make it to print.
1: Well, this one is interesting because you have Sean, who is, by virtue of the fact that he's an addict and has broken the law, is, is an unreliable narrator, right? And that's not me saying anything untoward about addicts or anything along those lines. It's just how the story would be perceived. And then you have the verification of the security guard who says, I chased after him and I literally saw him disappear into thin air. That's mad.
2: Yeah, it really is. And for Sean, he didn't go anywhere.
1: No, he he felt he like he didn't go anywhere. He yeah. just felt a tightness in his chest, which he's sprinting away from a security guard. I'd feel a tightness in my chest too, <laughs> yeah. I have to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very bizarre and uncannily similar to Frank and Carol.
1: Yeah, it is. They just smoothly transitioned into this time period and then went, wait a second, something's not right. And then transitioned out of it. The one thing I will say about this story is that Sean reacted in a way that I would react. Complete and utter panic. Mm. Because I think when you read these stories, a lot of the times people, they go back in time or they go forward. No, they generally don't go forward in time. They go back in time and they're like, oh yeah, it's really weird. And I was like really curious about what was going on. I'd shit myself. Like I would be full on panic mode. Like I, I would lose my mind. And Sean panicked. And I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah.
2: This is one of the things that really intrigues me and I feel like if it happened to me I, I undoubtedly would panic because that's the kind of person I am but I feel like these is one. this is one of the things I'd be less panicked about which is bizarre because it's probably the worst thing because you're never entirely guaranteed you can get it back out
1: <laughs> Well that, that's the big scary thing isn't it like you, you like How many
2: time slips have happened that we don't know about because they never came back
1: No don't say that because <laughs> that is traumatising <laughs> I do have two more stories for you Okay And the second last story it's also from that same area no way. of Liverpool, yes. Wow. This story could be interpreted as a ghostly apparition, but I prefer to see it as a time slip. But you can make up your own mind about that one. It was early in the morning in July 1971, and Rita Johnson was walking in the Seacombe Promenade as she did every morning. The early morning docks were busy with dockyard workers, milk trucks and gulls weaving their way in and out of the waves. Rita had paused to take in her surroundings when she saw it. At first she thought it was a boy out on the water, grey and shimmering in the early morning haze. But as she watched, she realised that it wasn't a boy. It was a man. There was a man walking on the water. She held her breath and watched, still thinking that she must be mistaken. It was high tide, and unless he was a giant, there was no way a man would be visible walking across the water. As the figure got closer, Rita could actually hear the slapping of his footsteps on the water. It was a man, and somehow he was walking on top of the waves. He was wearing a royal blue coat and white socks up to his knees and he walked across the surface of the water with what appeared to be a sword by his side. Rita blinked and he was gone. She must have imagined it, she thought. There's no way that that could have been real. It just wasn't possible. And it wasn't until a voice snapped her out of her shock that she stopped staring at the empty waves it was a dockyard worker asking her a question did you see him too on wednesday the 11th of july 1821 quite a spectacle took place on the seacombe promenade hundreds of spectators turned out to watch the eccentric mr kent Mr. Kent was showing off his new contraption, the Aquatic Velocipede, a strange buoyancy aid with foot paddles that enabled him to walk on water. Observed by hundreds, Mr. Kent, in his electric blue coat and white pantaloons, walked across the Mersey while shooting his musket and waving his broadsword in the air.
2: Whoa, that's bizarre.
1: That's weird, right?
2: Yeah, I thought it was Jesus to begin with. And, you know, I know it says in the
1: Bible somewhere about Jesus visiting Liverpool. It definitely does. There's there's some chapter somewhere, like an obscure little bit about Jesus actually visiting Liverpool. And I feel like there's a link to the Beatles there Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's where the Beatles came from, clearly. (laughs)
2: Um, But wow, as if there's like some kind of actual historical event. Because I I was starting to think like... As the story went on, before you had the big reveal, I was thinking to myself, well, this is more of a ghostly apparition yes. because there doesn't seem to be any logical explanation as to why a fellow is walking on water.
1: Yeah. And it, like it's a, it's a weird story, but it's not particularly interesting in terms of time slips until you realise that this actually happened. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's so How crazy. How weird is that? What's going on in Liverpool?
1: What is happening? and that that area is really close to Bold street as well because i also looked that up on a map because i was like (laughs) again how close is this actually and i just because you know the victorian era like the the 1800s was a time of mad invention yeah that was what people loved to do and these eccentric men with lots of money would often create (laughs) these wild things that they thought were going to change the world so it doesn't surprise me that you had a man that was like Everybody come and see me walking on water. <laughs>
2: to be fair, I kinda of want to give it a go.
1: I mean it sounds incredible, it I does don't sound know, like a good why far. did it not take off? I don't, I don't know. I
2: don't know. <laughs> Part of me starting to wonder whether they even shot the new Batman movie in Liverpool and whether it wasn't just some kind of time slip from some like Victorian villain. Uh, who knows? Yeah.
1: Who knows? Isn't it weird? So
2: strange. So, and then that one's very different from the other two as well, isn't it? Like that's uh I mean then, it's still time slippy because we know that bit of information. But But you're
1: seeing a moment in time rather than being transported back to, you know, 1960s Liverpool. I just think it's so weird.
2: Imagine, I know you don't buy much into this, but imagine the amount of energy that must have been at that event. Because you've got Matey shooting his gun off, waving his sword and paddling as hard as he can to stay afloat. And then you've got the thousands of people in the dockyard watching him. So if if you buy into the energy thing, there's a whole load of energy going on in that moment in time. So did they just witness a residual deposit
1: I think of all the things that we talk about on the show like I don't think I'm as sceptical as I was two years ago to be <laughs> really frank but of all the things that we talk about on the show this is the thing that I think why not like why 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 not believe it it's it's the weirdest thing that these people apparently like obviously the Rudolph fence story is likely to be used to push a narrative I get it right but a very good story nonetheless brilliant story brilliant story but the other the, the stories from Liverpool in particular, they make me go oh, that's that like I don't know how you explain that. I don't know how you explain other people witnessing the same thing. Like the no. dockyard worker going eh, <laughs> Did you just see that man?
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't it's very it's very the these story I like I'm just fascinated by these whole stories because I think you know my sort of comic book infused brain it just opens up the possibilities for so many different things
1: (laughs) yes it does
2: and it sounds very much like you know there's that scene in uh in the subtle knife by philip pullman where they cut through the fabric and go into the other world yeah it just feels very much like that doesn't it it's like
1: it almost feels like they're like for some reason in that area of liverpool when the conditions are just right you can slip through yeah i mean but it's such a weird thought
2: it's, it's crazy.
1: I do have one more story for you. Okay. But it's not from Liverpool. Okay. So we have a subreddit, like Real Life Ghost Stories. We oh, actually well. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We have a subreddit. And the user Hangry Vegan posted this story in our subreddit. But the original story came from somebody called Luna Blaze. Are you ready? Yeah. I was driving alone on my way home. It was about 10pm and I had just dropped my kids off with their dad for the weekend. He lives about 30 miles away from me. I had my radio on, singing away and I love nighttime drives, they bring me peace. The road I was on is a road I take every day of my life, literally. I'm very familiar with this road, I know it like the back of my hand. It's a back road that leads from the town my kid's father lives in, straight to my town. I always choose to take this back road over the interstate because they've been doing road construction and the interstate is restricted down to one lane. I was driving along, radio blasting, singing at the top of my lungs, and only about 10 miles away from my house when the radio completely went static and then went silent. I looked around and all of a sudden I couldn't recognise where I was. I hadn't made any wrong turns. Keep in mind, this is a road I travel on at least twice a day to get to my work, to drop my kids off, etc. I knew for a fact that I was where I should be. The landmarks were all the same. Same hills, similar tree lines. But the buildings that were there before were all gone. I slowed right down to take it all in and try and figure out what was happening. There was a wooden structure on the side of the road. It looked like an old cottage house, but I'd never seen it before. The strangest thing about the house was that there was an old buggy outside, and by buggy I mean a horse and buggy. A little further ahead I noticed a light, and when I got closer I realised it was a small little fire out in the front of another structure. This structure was very similar to the other, it looked super old. Next to the fire was a man. He was dressed in old-time clothes. I almost stopped. I was going so slowly. And I was so shocked. He had suspenders on, a white shirt, a very long beard, and he noticed me and ran inside. I started to pull away again when he came back outside, but this time with a woman. The woman was dressed in one of those dresses... "'that bells out at the bottom. "'It was like they were from a totally different century. "'He pointed to my vehicle, "'and his wife or whoever she was "'covered her mouth with both hands like she was in shock. "'It was almost like they'd never seen a car before, "'at least not one like mine. "'The man and the woman just stood there "'with huge looks of disbelief on their faces. "'They seemed scared.' I pulled away and kept going and noticed that nothing was the same as how I remembered it, literally nothing. There were no street signs anymore, side roads that were once there were completely gone only to be replaced with fields. But I knew for a fact I wasn't going the wrong way, it's literally just a straight shot from my kid's father's house to mine once you get on that road. You don't even have to take any turns, it's literally impossible to get lost." There were wells on the side of the road that I'd never seen before, old structures that looked like 18th or 19th century houses. There were horses tied up, fires going, people dressed in old-time clothing, and nobody had a vehicle. Everyone that saw me pass looked absolutely petrified. Even the air felt different. I kept driving for about three or four more minutes, past a few more structures, some that looked like little stores. And then all of a sudden, boom. My radio came back on. The air felt normal again. I looked around and I was right where I was supposed to be. I was driving on the road I knew I had been on the entire time just a little further down and everything looked normal again. There were no more old houses. No more strangely dressed people. I was so confused that I actually pulled my truck over did a quick u-turn and went back, only to find absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. I know what I saw. It was not a daydream. I didn't fall asleep. It was none of that. I literally made eye contact with that guy in the suspenders before he ran to grab his wife to show her my vehicle or whatever he was pointing out to her. I've lived here my entire life. 25 years, there are no Amish communities here. And I've taken this road twice a day for the last 10 years. I truly do not understand. Why wasn't it there when I immediately turned back around? I don't know what's happened to me. It's almost like I stumbled across an entirely different time or place. Maybe I slipped through some sort of portal. I don't know. I've been searching this app every single day for over a week to try and understand, but I'm still empty-handed, and I don't know what else to do besides just post my experience and hope that someone might have some insight.
2: That's just blowing my mind. What? Because I've got so many questions now. Because I'm thinking to myself, those people clearly saw her car,
1: right? And freaked.
2: So, is there are there records of things that we've dismissed as writings of people that are not very well? that are actually potentially them seeing stuff from the future.
1: Almost like evidence of time slips.
2: Yeah. And I guess you can explain what they're not being just by the fact that not as many people were illiterate at this point and oral histories, unless you make a point of maintaining them, are lost, yeah. aren't they? So that would explain it. But I've got another theory for you that's just come to me, like a, a ray gun to the head. Yeah. What if older UFO sightings are actually sightings of planes that have time slipped without realizing
1: oh that's a really good point
2: because they would be so high up they'd be small yes they'd be silvery you know when the light hits a plane yes. and it looks like a star or whatever, and they'd be fast and they'd be fast and what if modern ufo sightings are time slips from the future, the future?
1: oh no you're making my brain hurt isn't that really weird though? Yeah. I mean That's that... a read that's a like I know that sometimes you say the most bonkers things on this podcast and I end up with my mouth open going, I did not expect you to say that <laughs> But that's not entirely bonkers. I mean I know there's gonna be people who are physicists or scientists or actually in the know about time travel listening to this, shaking their heads. But we're just lay people, okay? We don't yeah. we don't understand that stuff. We're not and, super superstitious No we're not. <laughs> Much not as I would like us to be, we're not. There the the Amish community point is interesting because I wonder if that's something that had been, because I think she added that as an edit. Mm. So I wonder if people have been saying, oh, it's the Amish community in your area. The Amish community know the world has continued outside of their communities. Yeah. They're not like, oh, holy shit. What <laughs> are those people driving? Why can't we have that? They've made a decision to be to live yeah. in an Amish community. You know, they're, they're not unaware that the outside world exists.
2: And actually a lot of them have to, have to do some kind of interaction with the outside world yeah. anyway. So, of course they do, yeah, so that's,
1: I, I just don't think that's a very no. good...
2: But I mean, she she probably did, if it was an edit, she probably did add that in to just say, like, she's got no knowledge of it, because it would be something that potentially people would raise. I just find the whole thing fascinating, and if I don't experience one at some point in my life, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> right. Daniel, I know that if you experience a time slip, you, that's it, like, you would have to be institutionalised, because you'd
1: never, you'd never sleep again. You'd freak everybody out by talking about it all the time. And they'd be like, oh, there's mad old Daniel (laughs) raving about the past again. And I'd be like, oh, God. I'm
2: pretty sure they say that anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this week's episode, please do let us know what your theory is about time slips. Whether you think they're real, whether you're interested in them, or whether you've got a good time slip story that you've stumbled across on your travels on the internet. If you'd like to know more about us, you can find out about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send us your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories. where for $5 a month or $2 a month you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall
0: see you next week. Bye.